Welcome to the Living to 100 Club podcast. Here's our host, Dr. Joseph Cassiani. Well, hello to everyone joining us today on our podcast. You're listening to the Living to 100 Club, and I'm your host, Joe Cassiani. Before we introduce our guests, I'd like to remind everyone that I'm available for public speaking events, particularly to community organizations and senior groups. I love to talk to others about aging well and making it over those hurdles. There's an option on on my website to book a call to discuss a presentation for your group. I also offer one-on-one coaching for help bouncing back from struggles and setbacks. You can see this option as well on my website. And one last item of self-promotion, if you're looking for a consultant or trainer on clinical topics like dementia or depression, this is my wheelhouse. So feel free to contact me if there's any need in your group or organization. Contact options are on my website again, livingto100.club. Now, on to our podcast. In today's podcast, we explore the topic of accessory dwelling units, commonly called ADUs. Our guest for this podcast is Lisa DeJesus, a leading authority on planning, permitting, and building these secondary living units on your property, sometimes referred to as granny flats, casitas, and even garage conversions. The accessory in the ADU term refers to an accessory to an existing home on a single or multifamily lot. This is a timely topic with a big spotlight on housing shortages across the U.S. Before we begin, let me give you a little background on our guest. Lisa de Jesus is the owner of ADU Gurus, LLC, located in Vista, California. Her company understands everything needed to build an accessory dwelling unit on a single-family parcel or a multifamily lot. Her practice offers an understanding of ADU feasibility, parameters for local government acceptance, development impact fee waivers, financing, architectural design, and construction management. She provides property owners with structural plans and Title 24 documentation to obtain permits to build ADUs in any local municipality. Lisa is a native San Diegan, a former City of La Mesa planning commissioner, who currently sits as a Vista City Council appointed commissioner on local review board. Her key strength is helping to navigate the complexities of a city's planning and building departments. Lisa earned an Associate of Arts in Spanish from Grossmont College and a Bachelor of Arts in Public Administration from San Diego State University. She has a 20-year interest in and involvement with local government, specifically in density and infill. Lisa, welcome to our podcast. Thanks so much for having me. What a what a nice introduction. Thank you. Yeah, well, you've accomplished a lot. I'm happy to share that with our listeners. Great. I always like to open by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about the journey that brought you to where you are today, to what you're doing today. Sure. Um, I've been involved in local government in some way or another uh, for the last 26, 27 years, and understanding smart growth and looking at how local government um, can increase density, uh, especially along transit corridors, uh, 
larger transit corridors. And it always has been interesting to me how that works. Um, fast forward to today, I'm a licensed California real estate broker um, in California, um, and land use has always been on the on my mind in the back burner. And I can help people understand uh, what they you know what they're looking at and how they can maximize their properties. And then the ADU uh, phenomenon, if you will, c- came down the pipe in California in 2017. And at that time, I was looking to build my own uh, granny flat as we as most people have called them throughout uh time before ADUs were acronym the acronym was coined and in that journey i really understood what the city was talking about more than ever what came to my mind was that i could speak city fluently and in doing that and in building my own um it has evolved into ADU gurus and um i try to serve my clients well with what i know and how i can help them get their projects on paper all the way to permit and construction. So you've been involved with local government and especially interested in appropriate land use, uh, especially here in Southern California. Right. Uh, Plus your personal experience going through the steps to build a granny flat or an ADU on your property. Did you get that completed, by the way? I did. And as a matter of fact, it is the same size that the state of California allows to be or mandated that if it, it's built 750 square feet or less, that uh, impact fees are waived. And that's impact fees are the fees that a local government charges a developer to add housing to an area. So how you're going to impact streets and other taxpayer-supported parts of a city. In my city, those were $15,000, those impact fees, and I did not have to pay them uh, because I built it under 750 square feet. And I use it today for a model home for people to understand what that looks like um, and how it how it feels. Um, it helps people see that it's not a closet. It actually is a nice living space. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big savings to have those fees waived as long as you're within that size. That that's correct. You... Uh, don't exceed the maximum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sounds like a great, great opportunity to show prospective uh, builders or homeowners uh, what it actually could look like at that size. Yeah, and 750 feet is is good. I mean, that's that's more than a studio, right? I mean, you probably have one bedroom, one bath. It is. It's actually a two bedroom, one bath, mm-hmm. and the bedrooms are 10 by 11, so they're perfectly livable spaces. That bedrooms have could each hold a king size bed. So, I mean, it. It, I think it has to um, has to do with layout as well. Uh, you don't have to use my layout, but I think it it either um, satisfies people's curiosity to know that this is a livable space, but also if they don't have any design um, in mind, this provides them one, or it makes whatever they were thinking about maybe become more feasible for them in their project. Sure, sure. Yeah, a model unit. That's yeah. good. So, yeah, we hear a lot about ADUs, and especially here in Southern California, with we have a short a shortage of housing, and we're all familiar with that. But what's the what's the driver? What's driving homeowners to add these? Is it really more for the extra income, or more space for family members, uh, parents, aging parents, relatives? What's the what's the driver? I think the driver, and this isn't just in Southern California, this is across the United States, 
from Austin, Texas to uh, Denver, Colorado, Connecticut, the state of Connecticut, and Florida, all of those just dabbling in looking at it nationwide, Oregon, um, there's a lot of opportunity for uh, building an accessory dwelling in it. In Florida, for example, uh, the housing coalition there, the Florida Housing Coalition, looks at um, affordability. And that, again, that's a common theme across the board to answer your question specifically is affordable housing and housing stock in general, right? There's just not enough of it. Um, but in Florida and Connecticut, they're looking, they call them med cottages or granny pods. And those are for, to help care for the elderly or to provide a, a caretaker, um, a place to live. Uh, it's always more attractive to have somebody um, on site. And if they don't have the space in the home or they want the privacy, but they want the convenience of the caregiver being nearby, there's so many reasons for, for that. The flexibility, that family flexibility that it provides um, is is one of the reasons that um, that it's necessary in certain areas or that it's allowed in certain areas. Local governments, though, in every state may be able to change the certain requirements that the states are saying, hey, listen, these should be allowed. We need more housing stock. Uh, we need more housing affordability. Um, and local governments have a little bit of leeway with how they implement it. But most of the bigger cities are really looking at ADUs as, uh, as a solution to housing housing problem, housing scarcity, and housing affordability. Mm -hmm. So, but it sounds like the homeowners are really doing this more for family, extended family, uh, maybe some rentals, but more for just uh, taking some preparation for uh, aging relative or for their own uh, need for a smaller space and then renting it out. So uh, really a, a lot of a lot of different reasons for yeah. people doing this, yeah. Yeah, but I didn't hear income is at the top. It sounds like it's not at the top. Well, income, you mean like for rental revenue? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Sure, I think that really, I, I think that can be isolated to age groups, younger people and professionals that are trying to get into a market price in Southern California. They're looking for property where they can build an ADU so they can help with that rental, rev that rental revenue generation helps them offset their mortgage in other states, uh, housing, well, housing across the board, you know, look at the National Association of Realtors have been reporting the increase in property values is just exponential. And in a lot of markets, people made more money on the equity they earned last year than they earned at their job. So there's money um, in the market uh, in equity, and people are using that equity to bring a child uh, closer to home that can't really afford to be out on their own in this rental market or for an aging parent who wants to be closer to the family. It's just a great opportunity with the government uh, minimizing the or mandating that the costs be less to a, a single family property owner um, to build an ADU. And the reasons with the market going up for rentals, there's and having parents out of state, especially with COVID, people staying home to work from home, making a home office. There's just a lot of reasons for building these, and there's a lot of financial incentives to do so. Uh, that's a good explanation. Thanks for that, because mm -hmm. there are a lot of a lot of upsides to uh, to doing this, and a lot of good reasons, a lot of advantages for the homeowner. Do you think there's any typical 
homeowner that's making this decision to add the ADU? Is there is there a, a, a model homeowner type that that wants to do this? You mentioned different different groups, but what's the typical one? I think the typical one, and at least in my experience, is the people that have a little bit of equity in the even that it was bought. Uh, in 2018 and 2019, they've just made enough money to get the equity out of the house to build one. You see that a lot of people paying cash for these now, and they're not cheap um, to build, but they're putting them in their backyards because the opportunity is is cheap. Money is cheap to borrow. The interest rates, even as they're going up, are still very low for, for borrowing. And the equity is there in the house. So they're using that equity to build something. And whether it's short-term is for the kids that are going to college locally or rental revenue generation or for an aging parent, uh, whatever the purpose is, whether that's short-term, um, there's still a plan for long-term, right? You can, when you sell the property, you've increased the value uh, quite a bit and you've added a value add to the property to sell in the future if you're somebody that wanted to decide to move on after seven years or so and sell the property. It's actually valuable to have a second living space so that the person that comes in can use it for whatever reason they want to. And maybe because that price point is higher, they now have a, a built-in rental, gener- rental revenue generator uh, for them to help offset that uh, that mortgage. So there's just a whole lot of uh, interconnected reasons why it's a good time to do it and why people are doing it. Yeah, so especially people that have that equity in their home and their property and they can borrow against that to construct one of these units. Are you right. aware of, uh, is this is this taking place around the country? Um, I know it we is. have this outside <laughs> of the U.S., but for the U.S., is, you mentioned several states where they're uh-huh. doing some really uh, strong proposals. So we're facing a housing shortage around the country? Well, I mean, California, well, let's take, for example, um, Austin, Texas. It started this in 2015, started their ADU legislation. And California was in 2017, so two years after. So it's been on everybody's plate for a while. And I think, I mean, my own personal philosophy is that we've been talking about, those of us that like land use and understand local government have been looking at how to increase density versus urban sprawl as part of a smart growth measure back in the 90s. So this isn't a surprise to us that this kind of a solution has come forward. It's very uh, forward-thinking. But for those people that aren't had no ideas about an accessory dwelling unit, it seems like density is you know might be a bad word. But the I think the fear or the concern about ADUs going up like um, what is the saying, like going up like hotcakes or, you know, it's going so fast, is in reality the number of permits actually issued to build them is not huge. So this is just an opportunity for, cert- for, for everybody to do this, but not everybody's taking advantage of it because it is, it is priced. It is a, a high-ticket item, and it does take a process of plans being prepared and submitted to a city government and understanding how that process works finding a contractor to do the build. It's not a it's not a plug and play sort of solution. It's a, it's a solution that requires a lot of uh, attention and a, a high dollar amount and a process. So it's not just going to spill into every backyard uh without regard 
it's going to be a well thought out, and, and it has been a well thought out, at least for my clients, to do this without any pushback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for that clarification. So it's not, it's not really mushrooming all over in major right. metropolitan areas and even some some lesser metro areas. It's it's a slow, and when it's done properly and all of the the requirements are followed, then it's it it's it's an addition to the neighborhood. It sounds right, like. and it's it's a it's a model of density um, and infill um, for housing affordability. They're pushing the they the states are pushing local governments to make the opportunity to build them more um, streamlined, and they're also uh, as of January one. 2022 in the state of California, they're looking at uh, being allowed to split their lots. The people that own a single-family lot can build a duplex on the back of their property, and then they can split the lot and actually sell that. So it it makes that more available. And the same in Austin, Texas. They can split their lots and um, and sell the place in the back, sell the home in the back. But again, this isn't something everybody's going up to the planning counter with because things like if you decide to split your lot in a particular neighborhood where this is now available to you to do, it's cumbersome and costly. It could cost a homeowner up to $80,000 initially to build, to split a lot because the subdivision, I don't want to get technical, but the subdivision uh, map has to be changed and until that first person does it and then makes the change that making it easier for subsequent people to do it it's a it's a big deal it's a it's a costly uh opportunity but some people are thinking that and it may allow people to sell a second unit to make it more affordable for first time buyers to buy a house even if the lot's a bit smaller there's mm-hmm. there's an actual property to buy mm-hmm. so that amount you quoted that's pre construction that's just that's just changing the tenant the parcel map, right? I mean that's that's not even getting to the house yet. Yeah. And it's a it's an estimate, but these are numbers that float around, you know, fifty to to eighty thousand dollars or and and some of the regulations are trying to make that less costly, so we still have to see where that's going. But the mm-hmm. point I'm trying to make in this in, in that along those lines is that the government's trying to make things um allow single-family homeowners to actually be uh, somewhat of property developers so that they can add housing stock to the, uh, the de- what we desperately need in every, in every uh, city across, every large city across the nation needs increased housing stock, not yeah. just California. Yeah, well, that's good to know. That's, uh, that's very helpful. So you're very much aware of California and even Southern California and Maybe San Diego County regulations. Can you can you walk us through what are the major steps that we need to take to get all the necessary permits and uh, agreements? Sure. Well, I, what I'd like to share with with anybody listening is whatever state or local government you're living in, whatever property, wherever your property is located, there is a governing body that will look at building and have to approve your building project. So no matter where you live, if you take a piece of paper, maybe a ledger size, 11 by 17 size piece of paper, and draw your property out on that um, the best you can with where you'd like to build something, you can always take that to your local 
planning counter. There's always a counter there. And ask them if you can do that, if this meets the ADU requirements. And it doesn't have to be a professionally drawn drawing, um, but try to get as as much information on there as you can, measurements and whatnot for the for the lot, and show it to them. If you go to a counter at any local government and ask them what you should do, they're not in the business of providing advice. Uh, they can't do that. Um, but what they can do is answer yes and no. So this looks yes, you're within four feet of your rear setback, and the side, you know, so all of whatever regulations that are uh, pertinent to that local government, you can actually find out that information when you share that piece of paper with the counter. So it's some place to start, and then you can go from there. Mm-hmm. So, so feasibility. Um, yeah. So any local planning mm-hmm. counter, county, the city or county or. Well, it depends. Everybody has a jurisdiction that they live in. Everybody. Wherever your house is, wherever you've bought a piece of land that has a parcel number associated with it, there is an overseeing body. Um, So let's say you live in Austin, Texas, and you are in the city's limit, the city's oversight. You just go to the city of Austin and to their planning department, and you can go to their counter. Um, If you live in San Diego, but you live in one of the bedroom communities that's incorporated, say a city like La Mesa, then you would go to the city of La Mesa's planning counter. Wherever your parcel is is located within that jurisdiction, and that's something you can just do on a Google search or you can go to wherever your local government is uh, that you think is yours, and they should tell you um, if that's where your property is um, located, or they will direct you to whom, to where they think it is, or where they know it's located. So if you had to to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Okay. So is that is that going to give the prospective builder all of the necessary requirements, or are there other maybe state requirements that supersede the local requirements, or is it all contained within that jurisdiction? That's a great question. So what happened, what's been happening across the United States is that state governments are mandating zoning rules to local governments. And that's kind of has local governments up in arms. Like, why is the state telling us what to do? We're we're the local government. We decide what the zoning is and what we're allowing. The problem is, is that's become very cumbersome and very expensive to a property owner. Not necess- and even to a developer, developers pay tons of money to, to build new houses, and that's why the houses cost so much. So in order to, in order to um, try to curb that, the state mandated these new ADU laws. So there are certain, there are certain um, mandates, and in California that's anything, ADUs can be built four feet from the rear property line and the side property line, the side of the house property line, and local governments have to allow that. But local governments can also make it easier. Like they can say, well, you can do it within three feet. We don't care. But nobody can say less than four feet. So it's kind of um, just a hard and fast rule, four feet from your side and rear setbacks. So states are mandating these local governments do this. So the state has the uh, had the initial kind of law, and then local governments have to follow that. So 
the local government, um, you, that's why going there with that piece of paper with your house drawn on there and asking if this is something you can do from there, they're going to say, let's say they say, yes, this looks good to us so far, so good. You still have uh, several steps to go through, and that is to get a floor plan that works for you and then to have the planning uh, and the structural documents that you need, which is usually done by an architect or a structural engineer and or um, and then those are submitted to the cities and to the building departments, and they, they go through them all the way to issuing you a permit to build it. But there still may, may be some state requirements that also have to be met. Possibly. No, states don't have requ- – the state won't – the state's not involved at this point. The state is just telling the local government what to do. You don't do any – you don't have any communication with the state. They have no jurisdiction over the process of you individually on your property, they've got they've got a stake in the local government, how they treat you and what they tell you you can do. That's kind of, a, I want to make that clarification. The state is telling the, your uh, jurisdiction what they can do. Um, and then that local government talks to you about it. So you never have a dialogue with the state, only with your building and planning department that oversees your particular property. Okay, I see. Yeah, so the clarification there is that once you once you meet the local jurisdiction, you yeah. will automatically That's follow, right. be following the state because the state has dictated their regs to the local jurisdiction. That's exactly right. Okay. All right. So I thanks. That's that's really helpful information. Um I I always hear about um concerns of parking when you add all this extra housing space and increase the density what about local parking what are the what are the concerns there well that and that varies across the board but in the state of california of course as i i'm very familiar with their rules as long as the property lies within a certain distance of public transportation then there is no parking replacement parking required so if you do a garage conversion in a neighborhood with a bus line that's somewhere down the street or a trolley nearby then you don't have to replace the parking. So what's nearby? How do you, is there? A well, you would just say within a half mile, a half mile of the of the property that you have a bus line or some sort of mass transportation. I mean, in a perfect world, what the local governments are trying to do, and this is across the board, increase density, try to make people use mass transportation, lower the road the road uh, usage, um, try to get alternative forms of transportation to be used. This is the ideal world, you know, probably in a in a any sort of housing coalition or housing affordability group or environmental um, folks. You know, ideally, we'd all live really close to each other, uh, have to go very short distances to work or not at all, at least work from home, so that we just don't have such an impact on our planet. And this is, if you drill down now into how this works with ADUs, it's, Hey, you don't have to replace the parking. You're adding housing, but if you're close to a um, to a mass transfer, uh, transportation center, then you can actually avoid having to replace the parking. Yeah. So in the process of rolling out these new opportunities, there are wrinkles, and the wrinkles, mm-hmm. you know, get get ironed out eventually. But um, meanwhile, people are still adjusting to this. So what happens if the mass transit is not within that required distance? So say there's no bus or trolley or subway lines. 
Well, I mean, then you, I guess you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to, you'd have to replace it according to that local government. But in California, you'd, under certain square footage, you don't have to replace the parking. So this is really up to every, uh, the, if the state mandates it, that you don't have to replace parking, then you don't have to replace parking. But most of that is within a half mile radius and other then there's a so that's the minimum right but it, there's it's discretionary to that local government except for up to a half mile right so if it's within a half mile you don't have to replace the parking at all and if you um if the local government says you know they want if it's up to after a half mile then you have to replace the parking and some can say it doesn't matter to us at all right i mean we can you can build something if you're two miles away from uh, and not have to replace the parking. So it just depends how it goes from city to city, but the minimum is a half mile. So when you say replace the parking, does that mean you have to add off-street parking to your property? or Well, it could, right? So this is why one of the reasons why garage conversions were never uh, – people did a lot of garage conversions without the local government knowing about it, right? They, they, built, onto, they built a family room in the garage or they did something that – kept the facade of the garage so that code compliance or nobody knew about it um, because they couldn't replace the parking. Maybe they didn't have much of a driveway or whatnot, and people parked on the streets depending on the size of their lots. So then when garage conversions were allowed, but they had to replace the parking, yes, they had to carve out some place in their yard for an extra space um, so that they could meet the parking requirements. That's why these difficult barriers or the barriers to building are becoming uh, things of the past. Now you don't have to have replacement parking mm -hmm. or you don't have to add a spot for it, right? If you build in the backyard and you're adding a, an occupant or the ability to have an occupant or two, you don't have to provide parking for them. Yeah. Whereas you did a few years ago, but now you don't. Well, I like your description. You know, the ultimate goal or destination is that we and increase this density without um, imposing on other people's property, and we can increase the density as long as we're near mass transit. And that, I mean, I can I can appreciate that being the the goal. We're just we're just not there yet. I mean, right. it's, it's going to take some time. But as I said, these are the wrinkles. Yeah. So, um, what without getting into the specific costs, how long does it take a homeowner to recoup? their investment? I mean, are we talking about 30-year mortgage terms or less than that? Or Well, that depends. So if somebody, if somebody took out a $250,000 loan um, and they have a $500,000 mortgage and now they have a 700, what's equivalent to a seven, they have a $500,000 mm -hmm. uh, mortgage, or the first mortgage, and then they have a HELOC, let's say a home equity line of credit, on the second, and the second is always going to have a higher interest rate, right? So you take out that money, and when you're done with the construction, you can actually refinance the whole property into one mortgage, if you'd like, and that would lower that that second. But you may so there's a lot of what ifs and, and variables, right? If you're enjoying a very low uh, primary mortgage uh, rate, then why would you do that? So I mean, there's a lot of talk that would need to be done about what you currently have, where you're going with it, how would a refinance look at the end of it. But let's say you maintain that HELOC, that home equity line of credit rate that's 
now 5.5%. I don't, I don't know for sure, but let's say it's 5.5%. And your, your payment on that is $1,600 a month over, you know, over a certain amount of time, however much of the rent, but you're renting it now for $2,800 a month or $2,500 a month, and you can put that whole amount towards the payment, your ROI is there in less than 10 years. You pay the whole thing off. I mean, it's, it's totally feasible to, be, to pay this thing off and be in the black every month. And if you want to use the 100% of your revenue, then you would be able to do that. That's in a rental situation, right? But if you build it to provide housing for an aging parent, a lot of times what I see is the parents being out of town and selling their home and then paying cash for the build from the proceeds of their home so that it benefits families in a couple of ways. One, the the parent or the uh, gets get to gets to be closer to the kids. The second is that the kids have to come out of pocket zero dollars because the the proceeds from the parent's house go to the build. And then finally, um, that the overall property value is going up quite a bit exponentially. I'd say that the children now have a property that's increased in value that they have their parent close to them. Their parent has no bills every month for a mortgage or whatnot because they've paid for this thing in full. And the only difference would probably be um, an increase in utility fees, but that's it. So it's kind of a big win in that situation. For folks that are building to generate revenue, rental prices are out of the, are skyrocketing right now. Rental, um, if you even tried to be less than market value, you're still getting a great rental rate and it would still be greater than the than the cost per month of a loan, so it's just it's just a good time to be building these uh, if you're looking at a home equity line or somebody coming up with cash in the sale of their home. Um, it's a good opportunity to do this. Yeah, I can see that. Plus, the states and cities and counties are really making it more conducive easier for people to add these units to their to their properties i can see the real high percentage in doing this but uh, it makes me wonder what about neighbors who object they what can do so this is what i i, I always find this um <laughs> i don't want to say it's not, it's not amusing in any way but it's all, this has been on our on our table to talk about for like I said, 25 years, smart growth, density, and infill. But when it's happening along these, like I said, transportation corridors, and what that means is streets, if you can think of a street in your neighborhood that's used like, uh, that's a long, that used to be a main artery in the city, right? Before freeways, they were, and now they're two-lane, maybe four-lane roads that go through your city and traverse from one end of that city all the way to the other, but it's not the freeway. Those are where the bus lines run and everything. People are building, or developers are building condos along the transportation corridors and whatever else they can do, mixed use, where you have stores on the bottom and condos on top. That sort of um, has thing has been going on now for about 20 years where you have an overlay zone of mixed use and building up along this uh, so-called transportation corridor. 
those neighbors that are directly behind those those uh, that lie just beyond the, the transportation corridor, maybe three or four blocks in, now all of a sudden they're faced with condos that's three, four, five stories high that used to not be there. So they're complaining about that because they're along that same place. And now their neighbor's building an ADU in the backyard. My goodness, what, you know, what's, what's going on with the, you know, the next door, what's going on with the Joneses? You know, it's going crazy. So I can understand the uproar there. Um, it changes hard density in their neighborhood. There's a lot of nimbyism, uh, not in my backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of people out here that have been working on this for so long that it seems a natural course for environmental um, issues, for um, housing affordability. And those needs seem to be greater than the concerns that are out there. And I'll add to that is during this time of the last 25 years, the people that have been moving this forward are parts of planning commissions and city council people and state officials that are all moving this forward the last 20 years. So I think it's too late to say something about it for lack of a better explanation. You, you're really out of luck because this has been in motion for, for a couple of decades. So this is the trend, and there have been probably disputes and disagreements and compromises and pushes uh, to keep moving forward. Uh, well, I what think about- the short-term rental, sorry, I just interject this, is but, that the but- biggest issue is the short-term rental. Um, when investors come in, buy a property for cash, build an ADU, and then try to do Airbnbs out of them, that's not where this is meant to go. So this has been, they've been putting the kibosh on this. The local governments have, they, they, they sniffed it out. They're trying to do everything that they can to, uh, to mandate that these are 30 days or more. Um, there's no 30 days or less rentals. And if you're in the business of Airbnbs, that kind of um, puts that out. So that's, that's, they're trying to be, they're trying to be responsive to those sort of complaints. Like in neighborhoods don't want Airbnb uh, rentals. Three units can be allowed on one property now. They wouldn't want to see those be turned over every day like they were living next door to a hotel. I understand that, and that is really being discouraged now through through legislation and ordinances. Yeah, okay. So there is some kind of a fine-tuning here where yes. it's yeah, not absolutely. just uh, run abroad muck and <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I get that, sure. What about environmental groups that are opposed to um, this increased density altogether? Are they um, are they out of luck as well? I don't think environmental groups are opposed to it. I think they're encouraging it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have urban sprawl is is the bane of you know our our existence. You know, the further out you go and build more communities, the more roads that go up. There's not mass transportation doesn't follow urban sprawl. Right, so you, everybody went out in the 70s. They started to go out. 1970s, they they started building out, out, and out. And now the freeways are just log jammed. There wasn't any transportation, mass transportation built with that. So when you can keep, if you can do some infill density and infill and increase um, the housing stock in in neighborhoods where the the lots could you know can handle that, you can actually better the climate better the force you know people to stay close to their jobs um and that is there's nothing negative uh negatively impacting the environment it's it's only benefiting it yeah that's another good clarification thanks so it's it's the it's the urban sprawl the continued spreading and 
more freeways and higher yeah, more cars. Yeah, just terrible. Yeah. So, and the yeah. last thing I'll say is, in the the building standards for in California, for every set of building documents we submit to a local government for a permit, we have to additionally add Title Twenty Four documents, and Title Twenty Four documents address specifically specifically address the environmental impact that the house is being built to environmental standards. You can no longer, in California, as of January 1, you cannot have a gas appliance, only electric. If it's a detached new construction, you have to have solar. So there's all sorts of, um, there has to be a solar panel um, either on the main house where you're pulling power or you have to put that on top of the ADU. So it has to be solar, uh, have solar energy. It has to be all electric so that there's no gas emission. Um, so there are the windows have to be vinyl and they have to be um, you know they have to be uh, environmentally friendly so that the sun doesn't get out. That the insulation has to be um, of a certain standard. So the 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 environmental issues on new construction, whether that's ADU or any sort of uh, developer um, build, is requiring environmental documents to support the build. So this Title 24 regulations apply to all areas or just... In the state of California, yes. So whether it's residential, commercial, or uh, residential or commercial, you have to have, you have to meet these environmental standards. I see. To make sure that the environmental impact is, is okay. That's correct. Yeah. Fascinating. Great conversation here. I learned a lot. I'm sure our (laughs) listeners... We'll learn a lot as well. So what would you hope our listeners take away from our conversation today, Lisa? To not be afraid of a a process like this. If it's something interesting to them, um, don't be afraid to to learn more about it because it's a lot easier to do now. Uh, Financially, it's more feasible. Um, There's opportunity in everybody's backyard. The process can be a little a little overwhelming if you're not used to working uh, with any of this, so seek out somebody that can help you with it. Um, there's a lot of us out here um, in every city. There's there's somebody that does ADU consulting. Contractors, this is something I, I think is a, a good news or good advice, and that is that contractors, every, anybody can build an, uh, a box, and most ADUs look like a like a, either a rectangle or a box um, or whatnot, but it's understanding what your rights are as a property owner, understanding the feasibility under the ADU laws that really is helpful for you to know. So don't miss an advantage in this process by using somebody that doesn't know how to do an ADU but knows how to build one. So understanding what your local government can allow um, will, will make the process Um, a little bit less scary, and um, they're there to help you. Um, Please remember that. So, And let me know if there's anything I can do. Good advice. Good advice. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. I I just want to wrap up. um, Sure. uh, We are out of time. But um, before we wrap up, I just want to remind our listeners about a co-sponsor for our program, A Mighty Good Time. Are you looking for ways to engage and stay active? Check out amightygoodtime.com. It's a one-stop shop for events and activities for those 50 and over. It's free to search, and it's free to post, amightygoodtime.com. And be sure to visit the Living 200 Club website to sign up for our weekly podcast announcements and monthly newsletters. And while you're there, be sure to download a free copy of my nine tips for living longer. Lastly, pick up a copy of my book, Living Longer is the New Normal, all about maintaining a positive mindset in all we do. 
It's on Amazon as an e-book or hard copy. We've been talking today with Lisa De Jesus. Lisa, for those who might want to contact you, what's the best way to do that? You can go to my website, www.adugurus.com. There's a uh, place on that website that you can schedule a call with me or um, email me at lisa at adugurus.com. And I look forward to helping anybody that has a question about it. Great. Okay. So adugurus.com is the website, and people can contact you through that. Uh, And your email is lisa at adugurus.com. Correct. Well, that's great. Thanks very much for this very educational conversation. I know our audience will appreciate it. Thanks uh, so much for having me. Yeah, you're certainly welcome. Certainly welcome. And keep up the good work. (laughs) Thanks so much. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today. I hope to see you next time. Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525.